Streaming live from the ESPN 690 and Jar and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hump day. Austin Lane. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Joined by my dude Casey. Pushing all the right buttons. Can hopefully have Brent Martineau here momentarily at Davoli's House of Cards. Beautiful Jacksonville day. All is right in the world right now. Casey, out of curiosity, oh, he's on the, he's on the other horn right now, but out of curiosity, I'm just wondering, when we talked about the Jim Irsay stuff, he obviously brought something new to the table that I feel like we have to discuss. Um, and it's not really breaking news per se, because he didn't really say anything that blew our minds. But yesterday after the show, I went on Twitter, as I do, for about an hour before, you know, I, I go off it. Um, I get my Twitter detox, my social detox in for the night and go to other things. But Jim Mercer coming out and saying, no disrespect to Jacksonville, but I mean, they're the worst team in the league. I mean, if you play well for the first quarter, they're probably looking to go to the locker room, you know? And I get Jaguars fans were kind of up in arms about that a little bit. I didn't really see... Now, are the Jaguars the worst team in the league, Casey? Last year, were the Jaguars the worst team in the league? Like, the record would indicate, well, yeah, they were. Yeah, I don't think so, bro. Do, do you think the Jets had them beat? Eh, Jets, you know, hard to make the argument for Texans, but they're in there. Well, when the Texans beat you two times in, yeah. in the season, it's hard to say. Lions, though, Lions were bad. But Lions were, Lions were really bad. But needless to say, it goes to show you that the Jacksonville Jaguars are still... Violently, I'm going to say, violently, like a Will Smith slap to the face, are living rent-free once again in the, in the Indianapolis Colts' heads. And I think it comes down to is, what do the Colts plan to do about it, right? Because the last thing you want to do is wake a sleeping giant. Now, I respect the Colts' organization. Um, you know, Ballard's a guy that I've had interactions with, their GM, in terms of being in Kansas City. I think he's a great guy. It was great seeing him again at TIA Bank Field. And maybe they are just a quarterback away from making that special run and getting back to the Super Bowl, which has kind of eluded them now from years and years on end. But if anything, it goes to show you that even though Jacksonville, quote-unquote, may have been the worst team last year, we, st we still have people's attention. And that's what I want right now. I want to be in people's heads for all the right reasons. Now, yeah, you can go and say that Jaguars were the worst team last year. I don't really care about that. All I care about right now is that Jim Irsay is probably having trouble sleeping at night because he thinks of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And to me, we got nothing to cheer for on the field because, well, you had the worst record in the league last year. At least we got that going for us. I like that type of momentum going into a new year. I do like that. You got to love that. Gotta love the new momentum going into the new year. Jags in everybody's heads. Even the betters in Vegas, as we discussed yesterday. So uh, what about Arden Key? Is he in your head in a good way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great depth play. Um, you know, that this is a guy who comes from Chris Kersarek, who I'm obviously a huge fan of. Chris Kersarek was my defensive line coach in Detroit, um, has since then made his way to San Francisco, coached in the Super Bowl, has coached a lot of great defensive linemen. Um, preaches technique, preaches stance, preaches get-off. And I think when you talk about Key, you're getting a great guy in terms of he's been coached up very well, and I feel like he's only got room to grow from there. I remember Arden Key coming out of LSU being a pretty interesting guy that uh, folks were, you know, wondering about. Uh, does he have more potential that he's shown? And, you know, listen, he's, I mean, by sack standards and those measurables, he's been pretty average. Um, I don't 
think it – I guess the big story here in town today, they signed Arden Key, so they had depth. Uh, two different domino effects potentially. Does this do anything to change your mind about what they might do at number one, Austin, and that is go get a pass rusher? Is Arden Key going to be the starting outside linebacker for the Jacksonville Jaguars? I don't think so. Well, then no. <laughs> it doesn't change anything for me. Yeah, I mean, well, me either. I'm just asking. I think some people, well, we'll get to that a little bit more in a moment. Let me get the next immediate question. Uh, this one I got on social media. Like, what does it mean for, for Caleb on Chason? Is Chason still a part of the plans in Jacksonville as part of the depth, all right? He's proven in the first two years that he's really not going to be a super impact guy. But he is going into year three. Your position of defensive end pass rusher sometimes, Austin, as you know it, takes a little bit of time and adjustment in the NFL. Sometimes we do see guys in year two, three, even four get better as they go. I can't imagine this franchise is going to give up on the former 20th overall pick after just two seasons, and this will be his third coaching change. No, there's no way that you can give up on Caleb on Chase on right now for a couple reasons. Number one, when you talk about what you can get for him, I mean probably at the most we're talking a fifth-round pick. Um, and the last thing I'm going to do is trade around, uh, trade away a former first-round pick for a fifth-round pick. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's going to be a training camp battle for him. Um, his back will probably be against the wall a little bit because you do bring a guy like Arden Key in right now. Um, you probably will draft Aiden Hutchinson. So in, in terms of, you know, getting your reps, getting, getting your snaps, um, he's going to be on the lower side of things. So he's going to have to earn that spot through training camp. And if worse comes to worse, then, you know, he just – he, he digresses, let's just say. I, I, have, I have no problem seeing the Jaguars just cut him straight up. So, yeah, it, it's going to be quite the battle for Caleb on Chase on, but that's one of those things where I want to keep him on the team. I want to challenge him and truly see what he has. Yeah, I, and, and by the way, am I accurate on that? Do you think there are? it's a position that sometimes takes a couple more years uh, to develop for some? I mean, listen, some instantly come in and impact the league, and it really seems like it's happening more and more. There's less patience for that, especially if you're a first-round selection. But uh, I think over time, it, there are guys that have developed um, slower and also added to their arsenal and found out that they just can't be athletic and beat the guy in front of them like they can in college. Do you think there's still hope for Chase on because of, well, there's some history that says, uh, much like the tight end position, you might not be instant impact in the first couple of years from that spot. No, I mean, everybody, you know, progresses differently. And I think definitely... Um you know, when you talk about an edge rusher, now keep in mind, I mean, Caleb on Chason came from the, 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 the historic SEC where it just means more. So he played against high-level competition. But even then, when, when you rely on that first step in that get-off, um, and, and that's it, you know, you can kind of take that for granted when you get to the next level because very rarely is this going to take a, a speed rush time in and time out to be successful in the league. You have to have a counter move. You have to know how to use your hips. You have to know how to use leverage. And it's just everything is so technical. And it's, it's a game of inches, literally. And I know it's like the most cliche thing in all football, but it's the truth. I remember when it was Caleb on Chason's first year. And, and I broke. I was at training camp, and I took a video of Josh Allen. And I took a video of Caleb on Chason. And they were doing a spin drill. And I kind of put them side by side and compare, you know, you see where Josh Allen's at right now. You see where Caleb on Chason is. And from the casual eye, there wasn't that much of difference. But when you actually broke down the spin exactly of how they use their technique, I mean, Josh Allen was much cleaner. His footwork was, was much cleaner. And just, you know, his momentum helped get him upfield more as Caleb on Chason was more lateral. And it's just little things like that that can make the difference between getting, you know, 10 and a half sacks a year or getting one or two sacks per year. 
years. So I think that's where Caleb on Chason's at right now. He's at a point where he does have the athleticism. I think he does have the get-off. I think he does have all the capabilities to be a great pass rusher, but now comes the time that he has to put them together. And he's got to put them together this year in the pressure cooker where there's going to be a lot of guys fighting for that depth. Yeah, and, and by the way, maybe that is, um, motivates a guy like him to even be more sharp, uh, pay attention to detail, focus on those things. But it also shows you that a guy like Josh Allen, more polished coming into the NFL than a guy like uh, Caleb on Chase on. All right, back to what the Jags might do at number one. Again, they have Smoot and Chase on and now Arden Key and Josh Allen. But there's still void of a tandem, a big-time duo, a scary pass rush. They are – why are people still stuck on, like, Evan Neal? I know it was his pro day and Alabama pro day, but, I mean, I think the Jags are done at the offensive line from an investment standpoint early in the draft. I think they're going with what they got. They may add a center now because of the retirement of Brandon Linder. But at left tackle, right tackle, I mean – Listen, they've given us all the signs. I mean, they've got Juwan Taylor and Walker Little can play both spots, and they invested in Cam Robinson. They are not taking an offensive lineman, folks. I mean, they are going pass rusher at number one, and this absolutely does not change their plans, in my opinion. No, not at all, because at the end of the day, I get Evan Neal is still out there. Um, You know, you want to shore it up for, for Trevor Lawrence. Um, but when you talk about Arden Key, that this is a guy who comes from a 4-3 defense in San Francisco, you know, and, and once again, Chris Caserick, who I played for, um, that was his defensive line coach. And if you watch the film on Arden Key a little bit, I mean, he got most of his reps out of nickel packages, which you're going to find yourself in a lot, you know, coming from a three technique in a 4-3 defense. Now, I think when we talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars going forward and depending what kind of defense they run, Arden Key is going to fit right into a 3-4 outside linebacker in a base defense. But then when I think it's time to, you know, put a put a speed package in or you know it's going to be third and long and you want that pass rush package out there, then this is where Arden Key comes can kind of come downside because I think his game is tailor-made for the inside. And then hopefully you got a guy like Hutchinson or Thibodeau, whoever you decide to draft at that number one spot that's going to play the outside. So it's a great depth play. Um, it, it could be a great play in terms of base where he does play a 3-4, but I, I don't foresee him being in your bonafide bookend. If that's the case, well, then you got to address that in the draft still. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think this just – I know people don't like to tip their hand in the draft. Like, I get that – you don't have to be so secret, though, when you have the number one overall pick, right? So I, I, I understand the concept of that. A little different when you're picking number three or four or five or back in between six and ten or something like that. You, you want to have a – bunch of different avenues to go the Jags have set this up where they've invested in corner they've invested in linebacker they already are invested in safety but free agency in the draft last year they have somewhat invested in defensive line but not a slam dunk I mean they helped the middle out with Fadakasi of course they just add Arden Key they've already got players like Smoot and Allen on the offensive side of the ball they bring back Cam Robinson on the franchise tag they get Brandon Sheriff they re-signed Tyler Shatley, Will Richardson, some of their depth players and, and now starters because of the Linder retirement. They have Jawan Taylor. They already invested in, in Walker Little. They had two. T- they had tight end after adding Dan Arnold as well last year. They've added receiver. They already have a couple of running backs. They've got their quarterback. I mean, listen, there's one gaping hole left. Like they are. This is like the the. This is as much of a secret as Trevor Lawrence was last year. Right now. Uh, from a position standpoint, I do think there's a little curiosity which way they could go, although most people are just locked in on Aiden Hutchinson because Kayvon Thibodeau has really lost a lot of steam 
in this draft process uh, for being the number one overall pick. But, I mean, also, I just don't think there's much mystery in what the Jags are doing. I know people are still holding out hope they might be able to trade back and create some mystery, but I don't think that's even on the table, really. So, I mean, there's just not a lot of mystery in what the Jaguars are going to do. Uh, I mean, it's got to be like around 80 85% chance they're picking Aiden Hutchinson, and I think it's around 99% chance they're picking pass rusher. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, to me, that's that has to be the plan. Um Offensive tackle, as far as I'm concerned, is off the board unless you have a plan for a Cam Robinson of shipping him someplace else, which doesn't seem to be the plan. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Aiden Hutchinson is unequivocally, he's he's the overall number one pick. Um, you know, I, I just like saying Thibodeau because th- th- that guy still does intrigue me. Um, I just think in terms of the, the, the boom potential, I think Thibodeau has that more than Hutchinson does. But obviously Hutchinson is the safer pick. Not to say that's the wrong pick because right now this team, they do need safe picks. If you look back at the, the draft history, you know, the, there's been some hits early on, but there's also been some misses. And I think you need the safe thing right now, and that safe thing is Hutchinson. Yeah, and listen, we brought up a guy's name like Trevon Walker, right, out of Georgia, and I think he is climbing boards. I think he's grabbing intrigue, but I still feel like he's he's not like a typical pass rusher, right? He's not your bookend guy. He's more versatile, can play a bunch of different spots, can help you on the interior probably more so on the edge, and so that might even rule him out, although he might be the better talent uh, than even the guys like Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, I mean, it's just—it's hard to foresee where he's going to be right now in, in a 3-4 defense out of base coverage. Obviously, if you go into a nickel spot, then, yeah, you can move him down in a passer situation. But when you talk about just a base defense, I mean, this guy, you know, he, I think he was 271 or 273 or whatever it was. Um, he's a bigger dude, and he's only going to get bigger, one would assume, unless you, you, you somehow tell him, hey, when you get to Jacksonville, man, I need you to gain strength. I need you to be stout in the run game, but also you got to lose weight. You know, that's not usually how it goes your first year in the league. So I don't want to have that conversation with a number one overall pick. I want the number one overall pick to come in and say, okay, let's get stronger, get bigger, do what you have to do, and let's hit the ground running. Could they potentially, with the keys, chase on, smooths of the world, um, kind of, you know, just figure out that position by committee if they do like a walker and give him time to find his place on the line just because he's – well, what I would say is maybe he's just a better player, a better prospect. Isn't that what you should do? You should pick the best player at number one, especially if he is in a position of need. And and it is safe to say a position of need is defensive line in some capacity. I'm not going to take a number one pick overall and say, let's see where we're going to put you. If I'm taking <laughs> if I'm taking the number one pick overall, there better be a plan in place already and not just say, hey, let, wait, let's see. That's, like, that's how we do it with the number one overall pick. Yeah. Um, have the Jags done enough for Trevor in their protection of him? Do you feel like that still needs to be addressed? No, uh, I mean, now, listen, outside of center, right? I mean, center now becomes a recent um, need uh, of some depth at the very least. Well, I, I think they might trust Tyler Shatley, but they could certainly add to that center position now that the, the vacancy of Brandon Linder has presented itself. But outside of that. Um, I mean, yeah, like, I think the guard's obviously still open as well. Um, are you 100% confident with that position? Probably not right now. Um, and wide receiver. I mean, to me, protection means that, you know, you're giving this guy confidence to succeed. Um, and that's also a form of protection. So, like, from the wide receiver group, yeah, obviously it's been drastically elevated now with Zay Jones and um, Christian Kirk. But I still want to see another wide receiver just to even give more, just give more weapons to Trevor Lawrence. So, um, I think guard wide receiver 
and you know center is, is going to be an issue as well but that begs the question of where do you take a center in the draft unless you go after somebody in free agency i think it's important to note here too listen i i, I think we get so wrapped up in the trevor side of the ball the offensive side of the ball as we should that's the way the league has gone you need to be able to compete on that side of the ball it's the entertainment value of the of, of the game, right? Uh, and look at all the other teams in the AFC. It feels like they've really done a good job over there. Now the Chargers really beefed up their defense. I think the Raiders added to that as well with Chandler Jones, but they also got Devontae Adams. So it, it seems like the improvements in the AFC have come on the offensive side of the ball. So the Jags have to do that. I don't disagree with that. I think it's it's what they've done, at least to attempt to get better there, has been a good plan. At least it's a plan to help young Trevor Lawrence out. But I do think I have to remind folks of this. The number one need on this football team from last year or even the year prior to now is actually in the pass rush position because the Jaguars have been bad at sacks and bad at turnovers. And, yeah, you got to be able to stop the run, so the defensive line is right up there on the need list. But in this game, turnovers are king. And part of the turnovers is getting to the quarterback and impacting the quarterback. And the Jacks have been miserable. And to be honest with you, maybe more miserable in those areas than anywhere else, even on offense, Austin, over these last couple of years. So I think we have a little bit of our blinders on on the Trevor front, which, by the way, I'm not telling you we shouldn't. I think Trevor is most important for this franchise, putting stuff around him, making him successful. I think it's valuable. But I don't think we should dismiss the idea that the other side of the ball – has been where the Jags maybe are the most vulnerable on their football team on the outside edge. No, I mean, it's definitely probably where they're the most vulnerable, and a premium has to be put on that position. But at the same time, as I look at this division right now, I look at the AFC South, I see, you know, how you have to win this division. And, yeah, obviously you have to have edge rushers. What team doesn't have to have edge rushers? But you got to stop the run. I mean, you're going against Jonathan Taylor. You're playing against Derrick Henry. You're playing against a Davis Mills-led Houston Texans team. I'm not even sure who the running back is going to be, but guess what? They're probably going to run the ball as well. So, yeah, you you got to get your edge rushers because every team needs those. And when you add guys in the secondary um, or when guys get better, like a Tyson Campbell, that's going to help you out as well. Safety, you know, what do you do there? Um, Andrew Wingard right now, you know, I think is slated to be the starter. You probably got to upgrade that position. So hopefully that gets better. Cisco coming out now. Um, hopefully he can take over. We'll see. But also you got to focus on how are you going to shut this rundown. Now, they, they've addressed the linebacker position a little bit. Another linebacker could be a possibility. You lost Miles Jack. But I'm not going to lose focus here on, on what's important in this division. This is a division that, that lives in the trenches. It's a division that loves to run the football. And if you want to win this division, you want to be competitive in this division, you got to stop that run as well. Yeah, and hopefully Fadakasi, Aluakon, those guys have been additions that will help that out for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, it is interesting dynamic because you want to help Trevor, 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 offense, 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 but that defensive side of the ball needed a lot of help too. And I don't think people want, again, you'll get this inside the building. I understand this is kind of inside the building talk sometimes, but I do think it's valuable and, and real, and that is the defense can still help the young quarterback. You know, the defense can help. The other side of the ball if you want an example of that the only good year since i've been in jacksonville is 2017 and they helped blake Bortles, mm-hmm. and they helped that offense and they set them up for success uh, i'm not trying to stay claim that this defense could be that or is anywhere close to that but it does show you the importance of a defense um in, in, in the mix 
uh, as well. So uh, the continued talk about the number one overall pick happens. Arden Key added to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not throwing a parade for Arden Key, but I think it's a nice depth play by the Jags. And he visited a couple other teams, so the Jags sold him to come here on this deal because he had a couple of other options that looked like uh, in free agency. We are live at Tivoli's House of Cards down here in St. Johns County, 210, right off 95. Come on by, say hello. Maybe we'll have a little pack battle along the way. We'll put up some cards. We're here until 6 o'clock. More football talk. Coming up, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. the fact that they changed the rule i like that they kept the regular season games the way that they are but they changed the rule in the playoffs obviously because of last year in the buffalo bills and they should have had another opportunity yada 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 but at the end of the day it comes down to money too it comes down to making sure that all these owners are happy i guarantee because of that game there's some owner like we should have had another chance because if we would have made it to the super bowl guess what i'm richer <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I guess it comes down to money sooner or later. I don't know. I think this was all reactionary, the OT thing. I think the – I'm not sure the NFL owners ever think they've got enough money, but I don't know if every decision is based off money, you know. I mean, I would hope the integrity of the game is, um, is at the stake of it too. But, I mean, listen, they weren't going to lose the OT battle if they approved it in some capacity. The fans – I don't think all fans wanted it, but I do think enough fans wanted it, Austin, that, uh, that they weren't going to get a lot of blowback on something like this. No, I mean, uh, I don't think so. I think fans were definitely going to embrace that. Um, you know, and in terms of entertainment, it's probably better for the game. So, yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about it already. We've talked about yeah. it. But, uh, I mean, uh, it's not one of those things where there's going to be a big outcry, I don't think. No, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I think popularity of it. I, I'm sure if you did a vote, especially right after that game, and even now, I think more people will like this new rule. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, I think I'm not sure it's as big as we think it is in that um, uh, that poll that we would do. But I do think probably more people do like the rule, and more people are like, screw the defense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know? Much yeah. like the NFL has basically said, screw the defense. Yeah. Um, and here we are talking about defense and pass rusher at number one, of course. Uh, Brett Martineau down here at Tivoli's House of Cards, St. John's County, 210. Come out here just about every Wednesday. And uh, hope you can join us 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. Have some fun out here learning about the card business, the booming card business. If I give you two businesses uh, that are booming coming out of the pandemic or even in the pandemic, it's really ironic. They both... Two of them, at least. I know there's probably other ones in the in like the industrial world and business world, mm-hmm. and anything to do with home improvement, all those things. But two of them actually fit, like what we talk about a lot. And two of them are pretty uh, high profile right here on 210. I'd say John Scotty. Yeah. One is golf, and one is the card business. I mean, it's just so fascinating to me um, how this works. And every time I come in here, I talk to these guys about the latest and greatest and what's happening next in the industry. And it's not slowing down uh, here in the card industry. And as Casey knows it better than both of us, you will say uh, here at Tavoli's House of Cards, uh, they have more stuff than anybody in town. So come on by if you haven't been uh, just yet. Uh, how you know it brings up an interesting point about the OT rule. One other quick thought, Austin: How careful do leagues have to be uh, of skewing everything toward entertainment? and messing up the integrity of the game. Like, the NFL has played that balance pretty well over the years. Again, 
you know, the traditionalists or defensive guys or hardcore football people might not love the idea of this stuff because, hey, defense does matter. They still believe in what you always say, right? Run the ball, stop the run. Those things matter. Uh, but the fan is like, hey, I want to be entertained, and I like high scoring. High scoring is more entertaining than 13-3 to in the Super Bowl Rams uh, or Patriots over the Rams. But I would say, and that's what baseball's messing around with right now, right? They have to be a little aware of integrity of the game, traditionalists of the game, yet advancing it into this new wave of entertainment, millennials, everything else. Yeah, see, to, to me, it's two different things, though, because when we talk about entertainment, like, I think of, like, wrestling as, like, sports entertainment. Like, I don't, th- I think the NFL will, will be fine if they don't focus on the entertainment part. Like, yeah, bringing back celebrations, that maybe does something. Um, giving you the all-access stuff, that obviously does something as well. But we always talk about how the NFL is, is, is a machine that is too big to fail. Where I think that they, they are trying to progress is in terms of word of mouth is spreading the brand. Obviously, you know, playing games in London, um, playing games in different countries, that's going to help spread the brand. And if, if you have exciting games, if you have games that come down on the wire and they're high-scoring games featuring a lot of points being scored, well, then now you have, a, you know, you have a, an opportunity to spread the brand even more because we live in a world of fantasy football. We, we, we live in a world where it's the NFL red zone. And, yeah, sure, we all have our team and we cover our team. But, but fans love football regardless of who the team is as long as they have a guy on that team playing in fantasy football. So that's where I think the, the points come in more of just, is just spreading the word and making it more appealing to fans. Well, so that's, a, that's an interesting point. I, I think TV ratings say it's still highly entertaining, right? But to your point, you have other aspects factoring into that. It's a game that's pretty fast. It's violent. It's also gambled on. It's fantasy footballed on. It's all those things. So um, you, you have other facets uh, playing well, in here. Yeah, but to me, it's a, it's the landscape has changed, though, because when I was a kid, it was more about the hits, and then those yeah. hits were celebrated. I mean, I remember... You know, like in our high school, like our high school coach, we'd go to study hall and we'd watch, you know, NFL crunch course, crunch course or like NFL, um, you know, like game, whatever those like those old NFL films were, where it's like the, the hardest hitters in the NFL. And you got like Ray Nitschke biting on a piece of gravel, spitting it out and like clotheslining somebody like that's that's what the game was when I was coming up. And then you have that game now, and it's drastically shifted because now, you know, obviously those big hits, that they're not really that common anymore unless you want to get 15 yards or maybe ejected. So now it's shifted more towards the offensive side of things, and that's where, you know, I think that the, the viewability and, and just the entertainment can come in. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, I mean, have they – do you think, as a defensive guy especially, do you think the game teeters on losing some integrity – because of all the offensive rules? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's already lost a lot of integrity in terms of how we have to, you know, if you're on defense, how you have to change of, uh, of trying to sack a quarterback. Where if, if you get tripped up and you accidentally hit him below the waist and it's an accident, that's still going to be a penalty. And that's still going to be a first down for the offense. So I think the integrity of the game has already changed. But, you know, you you want to parade this and trumpet this as it's player safety, it's player safety, it's player safety. Well, yeah, that's what you tell us because that's what that's that's like the the, the golden thing that makes everything okay. It's okay, it's player safety, it's player safety. 
Well, no, it's not player safety. It's, it's taking care of the quarterback. It's taking care of wide receivers. It's taking care of the offense because the offense scores the points. That's what it is. It's not player safety. They can go in and tell us it's player safety all they want. You can go in and tell me that player safety is the number one thing in the NFL. And then go ahead and tack on another, you know, regular season game on top of that. Go ahead and tack on more games, you know, playing in Europe and playing all over the place and tell me it's player safety. No, it, it's about, you know, spreading the brand and offense. And that's just the way it is. And, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the game has taken a hit in terms of integrity, but I don't see a lot of people complaining about it. Well, it's really interesting at this point how we got onto this is that the new overtime rule that happened this week at the NFL owners meetings, but you're, you just add another one to it, right? That player safety, you just extended the game more, potentially, <laughs> in the overtime, right? That was one of the reasons they went to this, hey, if you score right away, game over, 10 minutes instead of 15 minutes, that's one of the reasons they tried to go there in the, in to help player safety. And now what you've done is 17 games in a season. Now you elongate these games a little bit more, of course, just in the postseason. But it does come into play, okay, where does player safety, where does that give way to entertainment, scoring points, offense, TV ratings, all the rest? Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, you, you can try and trumpet player safety all you want, but... There's always going to be arguments against that. It's just what what gives you the best product to view, and that's offense, as simple as that. What is the most dangerous side of the ball to play on? I mean, what's the most dangerous side of the ball? To, I, I mean, I, it's a, it's hard to say a side. I mean, I, you could argue that special teams is dangerous in terms of I, I still think, like, you know, the, the, the being a wedge buster, like being on kickoff team is probably the most dangerous play in all football still. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's why they've tried to curtail some of the rules of uh, special teams, like kickoffs and everything mm -hmm. else, because we know um, even the onside kick, they've, they've tried to mess around with that because that might be actually the most dangerous play in football, uh, the onside kick. And kickoffs can certainly be one of the most dangerous plays in football, uh, running 100 miles an hour down the field trying to light somebody up. So, yeah, I, I would say that. But the reason I ask is, you know, and you would think you have a defender trying to light up an, an offensive player, right, or tackle them. Mm. So they're delivering the punishment. Um, but I'm not so sure that's always the case because of the protection, like you're saying. Like, I wonder if that – I've never seen numbers on this, and maybe they do have numbers out there. But, like, I would say maybe 10, 15 years ago, the most dangerous side of the ball was the offensive side of the ball. You saw probably some big-time injuries from running backs and receivers, and maybe even quarterbacks getting hit and crushed. Now, because you can't really hit a guy high, uh, less, more and more rules about hitting a guy low, uh, can't hit the quarterback at all, that really the most vulnerable position probably from a, uh, an injury standpoint on offense is, is running back. Boston, yeah, think. yeah. I mean, I think running back because in terms of shelf life, you know, it doesn't last that long. So, um, I think running back. I mean, if you want to say like the most dangerous position, it, it's definitely on the offensive side of the ball being the running back. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's. I'm just curious a little bit about the, the this player safety part brings up something else in my mind. I thought the NFL was in a really dangerous position in the last. Uh, let's go five to ten years. But it's probably more like a three- to seven-year window where concussions were up, right? Concussions were a discussion almost on a daily basis. Concussions were on every national pregame show. They were on midweek shows. They were on outside the lines. 
We were talking about him. 60 Minutes was talking about him. We are talking about CTE. And I wondered where that would lead the NFL. Moms and dads not wanting their kids to play the sport. It's too violent. Yet there's a part of me that feels like that conversation has not passed by but died down a little bit. And has the NFL navigated that strange time of is this sport too dangerous with some of their rules, with some of the equipment changes, and with some of, I guess, their uh, messaging that now we don't feel like we might have felt five years ago about the future of football in the NFL in the United States. I mean, well, once again, I, I just think I think football is too big of a sport. It's it's almost like the new pastime where um, it's never going to go away. Now, while the conversations have possibly died down a little bit, I mean, those conversations will get brought to the light once again when something bad happens, you know, whether... Um, it's a violent act with with a former player, whether a player loses his life and then they study his brain and they see that he did have CTE. You know, I mean, I remember when Junior Seau, um, you know, he, he, he basically gave, gave up his body to, to science. And then they say that, yeah, he obviously had a very severe case of CTE. And that conversation was on the table for a while. And it seems like that conversation's always on the table when something bad happens. Um, Knock on wood, I can't remember. I mean, I can't remember the last time that something bad happened where we say, "Yeah, this guy's got CT." I mean, you know, the Henry Ruggs incident wasn't good, and, and one could point to there, but we don't know what Henry Ruggs is going through. We don't know what Antonio Brown is going through because, well, we can't see the inside of a brain until that person has passed. So, um, I just think that we're we're in a very quiet point right now because we have nothing to talk about. But as soon as we find another guy, unfortunately, in the headlines, and that conversation will be brought back to the table. Well, I, I do say this, and, and I agree with you there. I think sometimes the, I understand what you're saying. Like if we have this big incident, big um, on the field, off the field, then we bring those topics back up. But I will say the nonstop conversation about CTE concussions in football, again, that transcended sports shows and sports on TV and what was written about sports. I mean, these became news stories, right? And everybody was talking about them. And that meant moms and dads, I'm not so sure, were that keen on their kids playing at an early age especially. And therefore, you started to wonder about, okay, football at a young age, people getting into football, will more people be playing or less people be playing? I mean, those were real conversations just as short as, I want to say, three, four, five years ago. I'll give the NFL and football in general credit for this from a player safety standpoint. It seems like they've been able to make enough adjustments to quiet the conversation. Uh, they've been able to message it to a point where people are aware of it. Trainers are aware of it um, at all levels. And so yeah. maybe they have accomplished something in that regard until the next time it comes about. And I'll give you this. I saw this year that concussions were down I think for the first time in a, a long time. So the numbers have been going down. And this year, meaning 2021 in the NFL, they were at a, a recent low. I don't want to say an all-time low, but the numbers were, I'll put here in quotes if you can't see me on the video stream, good. Yeah. It, or trending in a good direction. So um, yeah, just interesting, we brought up player safety. It got me thinking a little bit about that. Uh, and. Well, the future of football certainly feels like it's in a pretty good place right now. Certainly is ratings-wise, money-wise, um, and I think even youth sports-wise. We have a lot of kids playing ball uh, for sure. We'll be back uh, live at uh, Tivoli's House of Cards here in St. John's County. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690.
I don't. I, I just don't get caught up in that, you know. And I think that's something that you know. 22 years later, going into my 22 season in the big leagues, like I don't want to change all of a sudden, you know, and try to chase numbers, you know, uh, because chasing numbers is like chasing a ghost, you know, you you can't do that. I mean, if you would have asked me in 2001, if we go 20, 21 years back and tell me that I was going to see here chasing 700, I would have said, you crazy. Albert Pujols, one more ride. He says he's done after 2022. Which is probably about right. Take revenge that DH and then say, see you later. Quest for 700 home runs. When you look at the pantheon of Major League Baseball greats, why do I feel like Albert Pujols' name won't, like, be top of mind? And then you'll get to pool. So you bring up Pujols and be like, oh, yeah, Albert Pujols, man. He was unbelievable. Did he feel like that kind of guy? Yeah, I mean, I think personality has something to do with it a little bit. You know, I mean, in terms of a player, like, I knew much of him because he always killed the Milwaukee Brewers, so I, I despised Albert Pujols. But he always kind of seemed like a quiet and reserved type of individual, even though he was a power hitter. You know, like, he, I mean, as far as I was concerned, like, I don't remember, like, any crazy sound bites um, that come to the top of my head from Albert Pujols. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but he is, like, one of the all-timers, Casey, right? I mean, the numbers don't just say so. I mean, I think he really is. Yeah, he's one of the most underrated players of all time, to your point. Like, he's a real realistic chance to hit 700 home runs, well over 3,000 hits, three-time MVP, World Series. He has it all. Like, his name should be brought up with, like, the best, best players to ever play the sport, but it just doesn't. And I don't know if it ever will. But it definitely should be. I mean, when you have, like, the, you know, the I think his nickname's The Machine or whatever, and, like, ESPN, yeah. like, the ESPN commercial, the commercial like, yeah. the Terminator, I mean, that's kind of the personification of, of Albert Pujols, where the guy is just uh, a cold-blooded killer, but, like, he never really exemplifies any really kind of emotion or any kind of reason that you should, like, root for the guy. He just goes about his business in a very quiet way and goes about it very well. Uh, who is the most coveted act right now in music, would you say, if there is a ticket? Should you do um, this in the morning? Um, uh, I'm sure like Bieber is up there because uh, he's touring. Um, I very often. Say what? I, I haven't heard his name. Very Justin often. Bieber? Yeah, I just oh, I mean, he's got okay. new stuff out. Yeah, he, he's oh, he's okay. probably gonna win the Grammy for album of the year. Oh well. Yeah. Okay. Well, what are the good songs on that one? Peaches. Who's getting slapped in that what uh, award show? You said what? Well, well, what's a good song on that one? I said Peaches. Oh okay, just checking. Got any other brain busters, Casey? I see you trying to put me on the spot. I mean, how many songs are on the album? Oh, probably like 15, 16. You're telling me there's only one good one? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying, you, you asked me what was one good Justin Bieber song. I said Peaches. All right, fair enough. Yep. All right, so this isn't going to be good for you, but pick your favorite artist. You got a concert you're going to this weekend, and they cancel it because they're big North Carolina or Duke fans like Eric Church did. Mm. Is, is Eric Church still making music? Get out of here. Is he still making music? I mean, Springsteen, but well, well, hey, where's well, well, he been since then? Nah, he's got some good ones. Okay. Man, I love Eric. I, okay. look for, I look forward to two. I like country music, and I look forward to two artists coming out with new albums. Okay. Zach Brown Band and mm. Eric Church. Okay. And uh, But Eric Church is going to cancel his concert this weekend. He's a big North Carolina fan, and North Carolina's playing Duke in the Final Four. Yeah. And I guess, like, the story is the fan base, his fans are not happy. Well, I'd be Do they have a right to be? Absolutely, because you're not in the sports business, Eric Church. You're in the performance music business. 
and, and to have an excuse and say, well, my team's playing, so I can't play this concert. Yeah, I'd be pretty upset. But, like, think we're in the sports business. Like, if your favorite team was, I don't know, going to the Super Bowl and you had something you had to cancel, like, call out sick. So, like, okay, l- 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 let's say, like, Trevor Lawrence didn't want to play a football game because Clemson, you know, was playing the previous <laughs> night. Yeah. That's maybe a little are, are we gonna, How's that different? Well, because it's kind of like, I think it's more like um, Roger Federer, like not playing in a tennis event because of it. Because he's more of an individual. Like Eric Church, he's not really like team guy. Like Trevor Lawrence owes it to the team to be there, you know? But doesn't Eric Church owe it to his fans to be there that spent money, that probably sacrificed time, effort, and energy to try to get tickets to his show in Texas, and then he just leaves them out to dry? Like, doesn't he owe his fans something? Yeah, you can make the case he does. I, I don't really have a big problem. It's the first time in history it's ever happened. North Carolina and Duke in the NCAA tournament. It's a big one. Well, then don't be a country music artist. <laughs> so it's so simple as that. No, it's as simple as that. Like, Casey, it, 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 do you have a problem c- with this? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, no. Because you're not an Eric Church fan, though, Casey. I'm fine with Eric Church. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like you do what you want when you're, you when still, you're Eric you Church. You still hate Houston just because you got stuck in their airport. Hate him, you'd yep. Be, you'd be pissed off at Eric Church for this. Dude, Prince was like the biggest basketball fan of all time. Prince still threw on concerts during the Chicago Bulls playoff runs, and he would have the monitor on the side of the stage, and he get updates when he's between songs. That's a good call. That's why Prince is the best, and Eric Church, I haven't heard a song since Springsteen. That's a good call. I'm with Austin now. And the prosecution rests. Thanks for playing. So here's what Church said, right? He called the move the most selfish thing he's ever asked of his fans in a statement to them. I watched Carolina and Duke battle over the year, but to have them match up in the Final Four for the first time in the NCAA tournament is any sports enthusiast's dream. Some fans are not understanding as blah, 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 blah. They, get, they went after him. So, um, as they should. Drag that dude. Some called him a clown, while others said they'd boycott his concerts going forward. Good. More tickets for me. Uh, I don't have as big a problem with it. But that's because like, you, you know what I have a problem with it because you didn't like rearrange your whole family schedule to try to go see this thing. Yeah, but like I'm, you're talking to a guy that like loves an Eric Church concert. Like I'd rather see him in concert maybe more than anybody right now. Yeah, but and you're I'm not going trying, to the show. Well, I'm not going to the show, but I can at least get there in my mind that if he had canceled the show, I'm assuming he's going to do another one. So then I go then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not everyone has that luxury to just rearrange their entire schedule to try to see another Eric Church concert. Like, well, like people bought hotels. People, like this, people, like, it affects people's bank accounts. Yeah, well, it might affect Eric Church's bank account. He made that decision. Nah, I bet he's okay. Well, see, that's up to the fans to decide. Hey, if they want to boycott, That's why boycott. he ain't Prince, man, and that's why Prince is the king. Here's the one criticism I think you could give Eric Church. Why not have confidence in his team that they're going to get there and don't schedule a show just for ha- the Final Four? Just have the monitor to, like, the side of the stage. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't have confidence in him because he scheduled the show for the Final Four. Yeah, but, I mean, obviously, if you're a North Carolina fan, it's like North Carolina Duke, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's, I don't know. That's yeah. part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. that's it's part of the lure. So, um, Eric Church getting hammered. Don't worry, Eric, I'll still listen to your music. We'll be back. We're live at the Bullers House of Cards. Fred Martin, Austin Lane, Casey Kurtz. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690.